We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? A little bit of Nets news to chat, Nick, including the Kiwi from Down Under possibly getting extended via the New York Post. Yes, we're going to jump to that and possibly some schedule stuff. But as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack, let's start with Sean Marks. Let's start with Sean Mark, and this is via Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Despite overseeing one of the most turbulent campaigns in recent memory this season, Nets general manager Sean Marks is expected back for the next for the next, it's I think next couple of seasons. Sources told the Post. A highly placed league source told the Post that quote ownership has full confidence in that front office to build for the future. Now I think that that highly placed league source is Joseph Sy, whatever his middle name is, Nick. I don't know. It seems pretty <laughs> obvious who that source is. Especially with the Post, because like you mentioned, you know, they've he's leaked stuff directly to Brian Lewis before. Obviously, Christian Winfield reported over the summer that this was a possibility, and then it seemed like it got some backlash, so maybe that report just came out a little bit later. Um, you know, obviously, the decision from Joe Sy here kind of signals what he thought was the issue over the course of the last couple seasons. And he didn't think that was Sean Marks. Obviously you and I have different opinions, um, which we've talked about a lot in the past. And also I think as you've mentioned, and many people have mentioned is soon as Jacques Vaughn signed that coaching extension, it was a guarantee that Marks was also going to be extended. Yeah, it was fait accompli, you know, and I think we both have mixed feelings about Jacques Vaughn's extension. I think it's it's fine enough because the Nets aren't going to be contending anytime soon unless they really luck out in the draft or they really luck out in the trade period. And then that's where I will have more reservations about a Jacques Vaughn-led possible contending team, a Sean Marks-led possible contending team, because I think Jacques Vaughn proved that he can probably coach better when it comes to talent around him because talent overrides coaching in, in that sense. But I think when it comes to roster construction we've we've been the biggest Sean Marks fans you know you go back to the origins of the Brooklyn Buzz I'm calling him the Kiwi wizard and such but I think I'd like to think that I just judge on where we are right now and what's happened most lately and what's happened most lately is this Mikael Bridges trade and the Kyrie Irving trade and look they seem to be working out pretty bloody well but in saying that 
what could have happened, what could have been had Sean Marks done some other things, had ownership allowed him to, or had extenuating circumstances, had he not hired Steve Nash. A lot of people believe that that was a Kevin Durant hire. I believe it was a Sean Marks and Joe Sy hire. There's a lot of things to sort of analyze, Nick, and I think that we haven't really had the chance to do that. But now in the sort of the, the season slowing down a little bit, I want to sort of dive deep into the Sean Marks overall tenure. Like, what were your immediate reactions to seeing this news? Because I woke up to it, and it basically happened, and I'm like, okay, this is my immediate reaction in the moment. Let's, let's throw it out on Twitter, see what other people think. What were your immediate reactions? Yeah, funny. I don't actually think I tweeted about it. I was like, you know what? I'll save it for the podcast because I feel like it needs some level of context. Like you said, we base it off of what he's actually done, and you know, what's come to fruition, you know, and obviously he's been the guy in charge and the last three years have ended in failure. You know, the last three years, the goal has to been, well, the goal was to win a championship, obviously not happening this season. Didn't come close last season, got swept in the first round and the year prior obviously was a little bit out of his hands. But typically when something goes wrong with a big business, you look to the top, you look to the leadership and they're usually the one that catches the blame. It feels like Marks hasn't probably got enough blame from the Nets internally, given he signed this extension. He's obviously done some things well, like you've mentioned with the drafting, signing veteran minimum free agents. But putting that final touch on a championship roster has been in question at times. And also his ability to manage you know, the club. You know, manage the players there, manage the coaches, and provide a really good work environment and vibe. And that's been in question based off of some guy's experience in Brooklyn. And you can look at that from both sides. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think that we we go back to the origins of Shaw Marks and we can acknowledge like how he brought a team from irrelevance back to a standing of respect. And he deserves a heap of credit for that in the drafting that he did, in the trade for D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, these sort of guys and building them up. You know, it, it, you know, unheralded moves. And he's done some great things, but he's also done some really shitty things. Like, I don't think that he... Look, this is just my opinion. I might be wrong. I don't think he deserves credit for the landing of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I think that that was a player-driven move. And Brooklyn happened to be the happenstance where, like, well, the Knicks are a bit shit up. Let's go to Brooklyn where it's a bit more low-key, a bit more chill, and maybe the, the vibes will be a bit better there. I, I think maybe he it- still gets – he has to get credit for just taking the Nets from being – like in the ashes, the most irrelevant team in the NBA and having a terrible reputation. And I think that still had a factor in Kyrie and KD coming. But let's say, 
you know, it was another GM that did the same thing. There wasn't one specific, it wasn't like this organization was at the top. You know what I mean? Like you said, it's just kind of taking them maybe from team 30 to team 15 in terms. And that was enough. No, I think that's a very salient point. You know, if we're putting percentages on it, as we sort of like to do occasionally, it's maybe like 70, 30, 60, 40 player way compared to GM and, and organization way. But in saying that, the tenure, I think analyzing and a lot of people on Twitter are like, let's just move on. It's national move on day. But as a podcast, you know, it's fine to look back and it's fine to look forward. You know, that's just the way that life is. And I think and when analyzing Sean Marks, it is very much worthwhile looking back and also looking forward. So we'll look back a little bit before we do look forward. And the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era, there were a lot of good things done by you know Sean Marks, as you alluded to, you know, the, those buyout guys, the Marcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, these guys made big impacts on the team. But the imbalance of the roster is what you know affected a lot of things. And maybe the biggest thing, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, was the hiring of Steve Nash. I don't necessarily know who I, I think maybe Joe Side maybe even had a bigger say on it because you know the sort of new owner bump, making a splash, making a name known. You know, you can't make a massive big trade. That's already happened. This is my way to sort of put my name out there, get a guy who's an absolute superstar in terms of his history within the NBA, but unproven as an NBA coach. And both of you and I were relatively optimistic about it, but when we saw Kevin Durant sort of getting into his trade demands and, and hearing that sort of thing, and we saw what Steve Nash could produce, you know, it was it left a lot to be desired. But in terms of the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era, Nick, how do you look back on it? Yeah, I think getting to the Steve Nash point, I think is important. It was a home run swing, you know, instead of just kind of going for a single or a double when you already had Kyrie and Katie in house and a lot of assets, they swung for the fences and they struck out. You know, it was obviously a headline grabbing move. And like you said, Joe Sy probably had a say in that, given his relationships with Steve Nash off the court and uh, Steve Nash and what he's done for Canada, as well as Sean Marks being comfortable with him. And they probably, you know, Katie had some level of say, I would assume, but it was more so, you know, he has a relationship with this guy that's been positive in the past rather than like, give me this guy. He's my head coach. So I think that's a huge factor. And, you know, I look back to the Katie and Carriera of a level of bad luck and bad decisions. You know, obviously that first year they make the move for hard and they swing again for the fences. And it looks like they hit a grand slam and things are just really popping off for the nets. And they're going to, not coast to a championship, but potentially win multiple championships. Next thing you know, Harden's hamstring, Kyrie's ankle, and the Nets are losing in game seven because of Kevin Durant's shoe size. So that, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, as bad I, a luck as you can have in terms of a one postseason. We've said that the Nets are cursed in a lot of ways, and th there are certain things you can control, and there are a lot of things you can't control. And the uncontrollables have been the, the worst versions of it. You know, the, the COVID pandemic, you know, yeah. with Kyrie Irving not taking that, you know, you can't blame Sean The Marks mandate for that, in two of, you know, 50 states of the U.S., you know what I yeah, mean? It's in one specific city and then got to a point where it's a specific type of career. Yeah, and in, in, in saying that as well, you know, Sean Marks, you know, during that, you know, the the – the, the entering the season that was last year was essentially guaranteeing a James Harden and Kyrie Irving extension. And, you know, it was very, it was very uncharacteristic of him. Sean Marks is generally a guy that sort of keeps it low key. He talks about mm. the sort of pleasantries, keeps it sort of like, you know, you're not getting massive quotes and takeaways from a lot of his presses. We've essentially analyzed every single one of them when he does yeah. speak to the the media. So that was, you know, shocking um, in, 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 in a lot of ways, but 
I think a lot of the good things he has done is, you know, the 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 draft stuff, as you alluded to, you know, Cam Thomas, you know, Nick Claxton, Darren Sharp leaves a little bit to be desired. I thought Kessler Edwards was a decent pick. and, and Jared so Allen, Karis LeVert, you know. He, a lot, a lot of, a lot of great things. But in saying that, you know, there's also the, the misses, you know, in terms of could he have swung a, a little bit harder to get a, a Jeremy Grant and throw Joe Harris in there, giving, you know, letting Jeff Green go and, and, and Bruce Brown go, some some of these sort of guys. And going for control. Jeff Green and not retaining Jeff Green, but then instead going for Patty, Patty Mills. Mills. Yeah. So th- there's there's certain things that leave a lot to be desired. I don't think Sean Marks is the best GM. I don't think Sean Marks is the worst GM. I think a lot of people think I might think he's the worst GM, but somebody in my mentions when I sort of gave my opinion that like you know I wasn't necessarily the happiest about it because there's not necessarily repercussions for some of the decisions that he's made. But you no, know, that's a, a discussion maybe that can be had for another day when we have a bit more time. But I don't think he's necessarily a top five GM as, as some other people are saying in my mentions. And it's like, well, who else is out there? And I'm like, there were rumors around Bob Myers. And look, I have a lot of respect for Bob Myers. We reference a lot of his quotes in terms of what he thinks about basketball and his philosophy on players and player development quite a bit. If that were to happen and the Nets are tied up to Sean Marks for the next three, four years and Bob Myers ends up leaving Golden State, I'll be, you know, kicking myself, pinching myself a little bit because I think that guy in the way that he produces talent, but, you know, Sean Marks might be a better drafter, you know, and and you sort of, where the Nets are now, do they need someone like that in terms of where they are and trying to find a diamond in the rough? You know, the Nets aren't going to have a top 10 pick, it seems unlikely. Maybe they do luck out and they fall a, a little bit, but you know, in, in 15, maybe they trade someone. There's a lot of things that could happen. And you know, I think uh, retaining Seth Curry was uh, was another mistake. You know, Royce O'Neal or Joe Harris, like the, the, the roster imbalance is still there. Roster imbalance for the last sort of two, three years seems to be uh, a, a running theme under Shaw Marks. Too many bigs, too little bigs. Too many guards, too little guards. Uh, it's just something that has been a, a little bit frustrating. And some of that's been in his control and some that's been out of his control yeah I think looking back to last season where obviously they were swept by the Celtics that's the highest level of roster imbalance you know even if that team is doesn't have the James Harden trade there's still question marks about that center group given Claxton wasn't as consistent as he's been this season you know you're relying on a lot of old guys and a guys and a lot of undersized guards and that was a problem I think one of the other issues I probably had with Sean Marks is his lack of ability to pivot You know, you mentioned not pivoting into Jeremy Grant, you know, not pivoting over the summer and then not having a plan this deadline for what to do if a trade request did happen, even though those guys had requested a trade the previous calendar year. You know, that 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 really got me where, like you mentioned, not trading off a Seth Curry, like how are you not prepared for this to potentially happen? At least it didn't seem like he was. Yeah. And it's also relates to the fact that, you know, I remember in Kenny Atkinson sort of saying, you know, when he was the Nets head coach, the Nets have a plan A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, does Sean Mark still have those? Or is there a semblance of comfortability with him and Joe's side that he can just sort of be like, ah, you know, I'll do this and do that. And look, the, if that is the case and there aren't high standards and there, there aren't high expectations, you know, I said, you know, in the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving here, when we were in the heat of that, that I'm like, Sean Marks is on the hot seat. He needs to build a championship winning roster. And then look, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving did their thing. They pivoted, forcing the Nets to pivot. And now it's sort of like there's a semblance of comfort again. I don't want our team and our ownership and our GM and our coaches and our players to be comfortable. I don't think a lot of them are. I think there is a lot of desire and and, and, and a drive there. 
But with Sean Marks, with Joe Sy, it seems like that there is that semblance of comfortability, maybe a semblance of nepotism. I don't know. But in, in saying that, I think that the Nets are in a decent enough place to, to to get themselves back into a solid spot, given that, you know, Brooklyn is just a, a, a sea and a, and a place where people are going to want to come to and, and want to play basketball in. And there's going to be that draw. And if the Nets are good enough, they might be able to attract someone in the next two, three off seasons, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, SGA, whoever else might be out there. Yeah, I think this offseason will say a lot about their plan and their pivot too. You know, how they handle trading off different role players and what could potentially happen with the guys in the roster and like who they believe in and how that's kind of, you know, worked with the rest of the team. I think Mikel Bridges becoming what he has in this such a limited time and looks so well does help Sean Marks' case and gives you not a huge level of confidence, but some level of confidence that you at least know he can still find players that can develop further. You know, it seems like Mikel's going to really take an even bigger leap next season. The development thing is what I want to touch on, Nick, because we saw that in the you know, inception of the Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson era. And I have more reservations about it now, given what's been happening with Cam Thomas. And I think some of that is because Sean Marks chose to retain Seth Curry. And Jacques Vaughn is similar to sort of Steve Nash and prioritizing a guy who is on an expiring contract. And in terms of long-term viability and upside, what is the upside you get? I haven't said this on the pod many times. I've said it maybe in a couple of solo recaps, maybe sometimes with you, but like that to me, you're in the heat of the moment as I feel right now is the dumbest thing that he could have done in retaining Seth Curry. Like even just trading him for a couple of seconds to a Western conference team would have been fine because one we would have second, seen like one second, anything like just get rid of him. Like, are you going to re-sign Seth Curry to a long-term contract? Like why, what is the benefit of that to the team in the short and long term? I think Seth Curry is a very good player. And I think he can contribute in a lot of environments and he's contributed for the nets in different points in time. But as of right now, he doesn't fit what the Nets are and where they're going. Yeah, and doesn't fit the identity that they could potentially have with this roster. And like you said, it's hampering Cam Thomas. I think also a big factor and probably someone that didn't get enough credit at the time is Kenny Atkinson in his ability to develop players. You know, he did a really good job in turning a lot of guys that potentially were fringe NBA guys into NBA rotation guys or even, you know, potential all-stars. Yeah, Joe Harris, Spencer Dimity, D'Angelo Russell, Carol Severt, all these guys. Jared Allen has had the most success, arguably. Yeah, Jared Allen. And like a, a lot of them, the peaks of their powers were under you know, Kenny Atkinson. D'Angelo yeah. Russell, probably the best of him, yeah. know, other than the, this past season, probably. He's but his only all-star season for D'Lo. Exactly. You know, he's played very, very well in, in Los Angeles and, and in Minnesota of late. But any other final Sean Marks thoughts, Nick, before we dive deep into the, the last 16 games? 15 like, games, depending on when you, you decide to edit this one in there. Uh, I feel like with Sean Marks, it's like we saw what he was able to do, and then we saw what he failed to do. Now this next you know, era of his his reign as GM is, you know, is he going to make the same mistakes, or is he going to be able to put those final touches, or is his way of building a, a championship team going to be completely different? And maybe you know, the first time around, that wasn't his ideal version, and like you mentioned, it kind of fell into his lap almost. Yeah, and I think a lot of people mistake me, maybe you, 
of being like just overly like hating of the ownership in the front office. And I'm like, this was something that I would be more than happy to be wrong about, whether it's Ben Simmons, whether it's Shaw Marks, whether it's Joe Sy. If it means the Nets are successful, I'm going to be so freaking happy and eat yep. my own words and they're going to taste absolutely delicious. That's all I want for the Nets to be good. And that's why, you know, we might seem a little bit critical at times. If we're wrong, we've admitted it plenty of times where we have been wrong. So I hope to be wrong going forward. I think Sean Marks is going to do a decent enough job. Can he get us to the point where we win our maiden championship? I don't know. Will Jacques Vaughn get us there? Will Josiah get us there? I have plenty of questions, but if they have the answers, I'll be more than freaking happy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we analyze what has happened. You know, we're not necessarily doing anything other than that. And I think objectively you can say there was success and there was a failure and the next chapter is unknown. And I think it's fair to have mixed feelings either way. Definitely mixed feelings as well, Nick, about where the Nets stand currently. You know, they are the sixth seed. You know, the Knicks have overtaken them. They seem to have a little bit of a cushion over the, the how many games in front? They're two and a half games in front of the Miami Heat. So they've got a little bit of a cushion there as well. 16 games to go. I put out the rest of the schedule. You know, this Nick and I are recording before the Minnesota game. It's Minnesota, Denver, OKC, Sacramento, Denver, Cleveland twice. Not on a back-to-back though. Miami, Orlando, Houston, Atlanta. Utah, Minnesota again, Detroit, Orlando, Philadelphia. So I asked people what they think the record would be. I might have gone a little bit too quick with the teams there, but get the schedule up for you guys. Where do you think the Nets stand, Nick? Yeah, I think it's a mix of a a tough tough stint to a medium stint to some easy games in there. And I think when you get towards the end of the season, it's always interesting to know if someone's going to rest. You know, this last game of the season against Philadelphia, will Joel Embiid play? Will James Harden play? Maybe not. You know, if they already have their seed locked up, that's going to be a pretty big deal. Orlando and Detroit will probably be in that final tank of the season. Minnesota might be fighting for a playing spot. Obviously, I'm working backwards here. Uh, the Utah Jazz, probably not trying to win games. Atlanta, a team you're going to be fighting Are with. they, though, Nick? There's, there's parts where it's just like they might be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they should be, but yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that they are. They did just beat the Nets, you know, two weeks ago. Yep. But uh, the Nets could easily win that game. I think that's right around their level of competition. Houston, we saw, as long as the Nets play good basketball, they can win. Orlando's probably tougher than you anticipate, but a game the Nets should win. Miami, Cleveland, Cleveland, Those all three of those games are kind of like 50-50. You expect them to beat Cleveland probably one time, and I think the Heat game is a toss-up. But now getting to this stint that they're currently on, you mentioned Minnesota, That's a 50-50 game. Denver on Sunday is going to be super tough in Denver. OKC is not an easy matchup. Then you get Sacramento at home, who's been awesome, and then Denver again. So these next five games, you really just want to try to win two games, I think. That, That would be ideal. If you could get two, one seems more likely. Yeah, looking at the schedule, I sort of just went through it and, and played it through my head. A lot of people saying six and ten, a lot of people saying ten and six, eight and eight. I'm leaning towards sort of seven and nine, and I think that that allows the Nets to probably retain their sort of six seed. I don't think that the Heat are going to have a, an amazing sort of end stretch. And look, I think that, and it's it's going to be interesting as you alluded to this immediate sort of five game stretch before you know heading back to the East Coast to to take on Cleveland a couple times. If the Nets get into the doldrums and like they lose all five of them, how can they bounce back if that were to be the case? Will they only win one of them, you know, against OKC by a couple of points or whatever? It's it's going to be interesting to see how the ebbs and flows of those final six game, sixteen games, sorry, are and how it affects the team. So, look, I'm I'm hoping for 
look, and ultimately, I, I'm not as bit. I'm, I'm not like going. Oh, okay, like I need this game. It, it means so much for seeding. Like I need that six here to avoid the plan. I'm just going to be enjoying the the ebbs and the flows, and I hope that we continue to see like awesome performances from Mikael Bridges, you know, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, all of the the guys that we want to see can continue to contribute, and then you know some able support from the likes of you know Joe Harris, DFS, and hopefully Cam Thomas. So it's like. The desire for wins is 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 lesser than I probably would have said, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But you know, I, I maybe I'm more focused on process. You know, I'm, I'm old school Sam Hinkie towards the end of the year and sort of figuring out things overall about like we've sort of discussed before what the priority should be priority should be continuing to develop the ball with, with Mikhail Bridges you know that guy is just looking like a a top a possible top 25 sort of player Cam Thomas is he going to get some some extended run Cam Johnson see what you get out of him before you know you give him a, a contract in restricted free agency so uh, I what are your thoughts on the record overall Nick am, am I too pessimistic optimistic what do you think yeah, I think uh, we'll have a lot better idea after this five-game stint. If they're able to win two or three games, then that probably changes your complete tune. I think, like you said, you want to see them really play competitive basketball regardless of the opponent and just kind of start to get a feel and identity for next season and like how these guys can be successful. And the best way to analyze someone is winning basketball games. You know, if their play is, you know, impacting winning, that's a huge factor. So I think it'll say a lot if they're able to have even a 500 stretch given some of their opponents. Ideally, you'd like to be one or two over. And I think it would probably mean a lot for them to hold on to that sixth seed in terms of confidence other than falling into the plane. And like you mentioned, the Hawks aren't playing great. Miami's kind of all over the place. Raptors, Wizards, Bulls, Pacers are... You know, just teams. Eh. That, they're, yeah, they're just mad teams at this point. So it's going to be interesting. But I'm just like you said, kind of viewing it from a perspective of just I want to see them play well. If it doesn't necessarily get them a win every time, I'm not going to lose sleep. Just don't like get blown out by the Houston Rockets. No, yeah, exactly. It's it's more about you know the the process as we sort of alluded to. What can we get more out of the the guys going forward? But any final things you wanted to discuss Nick, before we wrap this one up? Uh, not really. And you know, you mentioned you know, what they should be doing during this final stretch. I think at times they probably won't be doing that. We've already seen them not really lean into playing Cam Thomas, which is, you know, potentially even a longer discussion for a whole another podcast. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. And if Vaughn is also wi willing to pivot as well. We talked about Sean Marks pivoting. Is Vaughn willing to change his rotation and take some of these players out, even other veterans, and put them on the bench? And obviously we're look talking about Seth Curry. Could Cam take a spot? Could Sumner take a spot? Could Yuta take a spot? You know, there's a, a lot of different options, and I think it's important to figure out what's going on with this team. We shall see, Nick. We shall see. Always a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 